All right, this is 773 Sports. We're recording again live from Galway Bay Pub. That's 500 West Diversity at Parkway. Not an evidence, Parkway. You know what's weird about that, Herb? Yes. That's my man, Herb Lawrence. I'm Joe Kilgallen. I'm a comedian, and that is uh, executive producer at The Score, which you can hear tonight from 10 to midnight yes. on 674. I am on for Julie DeCaro. That's a 10,000-watt station, so the whole Chicagoland area and parts of Wisconsin, a lot of Michigan. I've yeah. heard it all the way out to Grand Rapids, man. When we're in Missouri, we can hear a little bit. A little yes. bit in Missouri, too. We're, at night, it's supposed to be 38 states in Canada, but I don't think it's that much. Not sure. Okay, well, this podcast will be up hopefully around dinner time-ish, so you guys can hear this. And then listen to Herb a little bit later. I, uh, I was going to address the fact that diversity is a weird street in Chicago, everybody. I'm going to get real Chicago with you. It is an avenue for a while. Then it becomes a parkway, but really for no reason. Nothing changes about it. No, it's still a two-lane uh, street that doesn't really change. I know it turns when it goes up to Lakeshore Drive and turns into some other street. But otherwise, no. It's just like it's kind of a frontage road. Off of uh, Lakeshore Drive uh, for, yeah, like for like a, a little a, bit. For a second. Yeah, so maybe. I don't know what a difference between a parkway and an avenue is. I just think some guys like, oh, fuck it, it is. It's, it's, I think it's a monopoly type of thing. Okay. It makes the real estate better because it starts after Ashland as a parkway. And okay. I think it was just to kind of upsell some real estate there. I mean, it worked. It definitely worked. It these sounds areas around here are fancy and not any better than the place right down the street. If you just go over there by the brown line over there the, on diversity uh, in... I think, what, Sheffield? Yeah, thereabouts. There's a place across the street, it's a little diner called Yolk. And I don't want to badmouth them. I'm sure they're great. But to me, are they any better than Denny's? Or do they just have a fancy name and people think it's hip? Fancy name, good, you know, like a hard, uh, sunny side up egg. Yeah, one of their, like their, Egg Experience was the name of a place that was trendy. Yeah, it was downtown by that, uh, what used to be Excalibur. Yes. I remember Experience. It was just regular and a bunch of D-bags and that all the time. Exactly. Like constantly. People who act like brunch is brand new. You know, everyone acted like, oh, you go to brunch? You don't go to brunch? It's like, chill out. Brunch and it costs so much more than just regular ass breakfast. Like, who's really making eggs that much better? Like, Nobody. they're easy to make. And do you go to a place and you're like, mm, goddamn, these eggs are much better than the eggs they make at Applebee's or Denny's? Because great eggs and good eggs, I don't know if there's that much of a difference. No. Quite frankly. It's, I mean, you can overcook eggs, but if you overcook eggs, you're a fucking idiot. It's like managing a baseball team. You could be so bad, it's just, it's terrible. Mm -hmm. But the difference between a good manager and a great manager, very, very it's, minuscule. It's like negligible. Yeah. You can't even tell. Yeah. Like, that's why it's so, that's why you can bring in a guy off the street, Aaron Boone, or how the Cubs are thinking about getting uh, David Ross. A guy who hasn't done this job ever, how Rob Ventura, it's a bad example. But still, <laughs> when he came off the streets, the White Sox went from a team that was a losing team to a winning team. They you know, collapsed in the end of the, end of the year, but that wasn't his fault. That was the rest of the team's fault. And it turned out to be, I think we spoke about this in a couple episodes ago about Pythagorean record. Yeah. And if you look at Robin Ventura's Pythagorean record, they should have been worse than what he actually then they so he added went. some value. Yes, he added value to what they were doing. So, you know, that's what baseball managers are. That's what eggs are. Like, yeah. if you're going to, you know, I can literally go home and cook some eggs, and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between the yolk you eggs. You wouldn't charge $12 for me either. Okay, well, that's our opening rant about things that have nothing to do with sports. I was going to go in on nose hair with you because I'm having a hell of a time. Dude, I don't know what it is, man. I think I have to like really go deep into it. I just turned 35 recently, and maybe 35 is the age in which the nose hair has become even longer. Yes. And I think, you know, you normally take a little scissors cut to it, but I think I got to go in like deep now. 
because I, I'm going at my nose like a cokehead, and it's not a good look when you're out in public. Yeah, and it's they come back quick too. I do it like every two weeks and they're still just the same length that they were two weeks ago they just grow like and they curl and then everybody can see them and they're kind of white for me now because i'm 40 and so i got a couple like i got it's like they got some uh some boogers on my thing it's like no it's just a long nose hair i haven't you know trimmed this yet you got you're going out the booger candy like exactly and the ear hairs too the same thing i'm getting a couple of those yeah it's it's uh being old sucks it's not getting old it's a lot of maintenance here here we are two men complaining about maintenance with our bodies all right we got a lot of fun things to talk about if you're listening to the podcast for the very first time welcome this is 773 sports where myself and herb lawrence i introduced i'm a comedian he's an executive producer also an on-air personality today very knowledgeable in sports the both of us we're going to talk chicago sports with you and some national topics along the way i got a couple national topics i want to hit up uh let's go right into our bears first mm. okay uh playing in london in jolly old london over the weekend, and it was not a fun game. It was, a, if you're a Bears fan, this was a bad game. There was, they came out strong in the third quarter, and you think, okay, okay, thank God, because this, you can't lose to Oakland. No, not at all. Not with all the Khalil Mack revenge game and all the other stupid narratives we heard all week long. Vindictiveness, and he wanted to take it to him. I got to give it to John Gruden. I made fun of him on my prediction. I did the knock twice if you're with me thing on my prediction, and I thought the Bears were going to dominate 17-3. I was like, there's no way Oakland can do anything on this Bears defense. But John Gruden worked a plan to perfection. We're going to run the ball a lot, a lot with our road graders out there, and we're going to not have Derek Carr in any problems. So we're not going to have any seven-step drops, not even five-step drops. Three steps, get that ball out. And the Bears didn't readjust to that. It was uh, there was Khalil Mack was a non-factor because of that reason. I mean, he yeah. was getting pressure, but you can't get pressure on the ball that's already gone. So John Gruden and his staff really did a good job of nullifying what the Bears do well, which is putting pressure on the quarterback by running the ball right up their face, especially when excuse me, um, not Bilal Nichols, who was already out of the game. But uh, um, I'm losing his name already. Uh, Can- the Canadian guy who's actually great. Um, defensive tackle. I'm, bro- blank, I'm blanking now, Yeah, who too. had the elbow problem. But, you know. You oh, know, Hicks. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Hicks, sorry. He had the elbow dislodging. It was disgusting. Early in the first quarter, and he's one of their big rough stuffers. So then you had Nick Williams and I think Eddie Goldman as your only guys really can be stout against the run, and they were getting killed by Richie Incognito, who was doing a couple cheap, yeah, cheap, some cheap, cheap chop, chop blocks, and that's what he's known for. And, you know, the Bears didn't have an answer for any of that stuff until the Oakland Raiders made that own, their only mistake right there with the missnap where one guy thought it was supposed to be a handoff. Yeah. Their car thought it was supposed to be a pitch, and they uh, recovered by Khalil Mack. But otherwise, man... Just a disappointing game for the Bears. They didn't come prepared, and John Gruden outcoached Matt Nagy by far. Yeah, 100% have to agree with you there. He was outcoached. I think that's the bigger story. I think as fans, we look to the easy thing first. And I, I noticed the narrative through, like, you know, friends and cousins. I'm talking to them and, uh, you know, seeing all over Twitter and social media in general. Was that, oh, we, if Mitch, Mitch would have won that. I, I don't know <laughs> if that's true at all. I've seen no evidence that Mitch would have done any better. Obviously, look, Chad Daniel is not an NFL starting quarterback. We know that. Chase. Chase, sorry. Yeah. It, does, it, does, it doesn't even it matter doesn't his matter. name. It doesn't matter. <laughs> See, they're screwing up his last name and going Daniels or Daniel, but now yeah. I just totally screwed up the first name. Uh, Chad, fine. Chad, Chase, whatever. Let's it's, go with that one. It's a name of, he looks like he was named correctly. 
Like his parents looked at him going, Chase, Chad, sure. Uh, Chud, that works. Yeah, he had a bad game. I mean, but it wasn't a terrible game. He had an 89 QB rating, which I don't know how much you put into that. His yeah. turnovers were costly and at bad times. But again, I look at it, when you give up that many points to the Oakland Raiders, there's so much more at stake. There's so much more that went wrong than just your backup QB. And, I agree. Right? And another, I remember saying like that, that bad penalty on the punter. And yeah, that's a bad penalty. That can't happen. That really did because they made it fourth and one. Then they did, then they went for it. They got it. Yes, they still that was to, good. They still have to get it. They still have to get the eighty yards to score the touchdown, and they did. The Oakland Raiders should not be able to did what two drives of one was a ninety yard drive, one was an eighty yard drive, and that this cannot is, happen. This is a theme. I remember writing something about this uh, when they played Washington, and I was like, the Bears are getting dominated by the Washington. And that was the time in the third quarter where everybody was like, oh, where did they get dominated? It's like when Washington went down for two straight scores and then we're going for a third and Colt McCoy, not Colt McCoy, Case Keenum reached the ball over and the Bears stripped that ball out. They were getting dominated at that time. The Packers did that. The first drive they had, they dominated that first drive, scored the touchdown with Jimmy Graham. Uh, in Denver, the same thing. They they went down methodically. Joe Flacco scored a touchdown, got the two-point conversion to take the lead before the game-winning field goal by Eddie Pinheiro. And then this game. I mean, the Vikings, I don't think, did that because the Bears pretty much handled them. The quarterback was horrible the whole game, and they stopped the running game. But that happened in this game. They had two long drives. The defense didn't step up. This is a problem. While people are talking about this defense is elite, this defense might be the best one since 85, pause the brakes. The team in 07 or 06, 07 was pretty great too. Yes. And secondly, that team didn't allow big-time drives to be completed. Maybe there were a bend-but-not-break team with Lovey, then people would get frustrated with his, uh, Tampa 2, but they would stop people in the red zone. They would get turnovers, and it seems like that peanut punch at the goal line, that was great that by Sherrick awesome. McManus, and everybody was rooting for that, but that was the other drive that you were talking about. They methodically drove down the field and were about to score, and that would have been a much more b- bigger blowout if, you know, Sherrick McManus didn't have the wherewithal and the presence of mind. I think he played a little bit with Peanut, so he learned that Peanut punch from the best. So, I, yeah. yeah, the defense is the problem right now. The offensive line is the problem right now. Yeah, they might be elite and maybe they get some sacks and some turnovers, but those things can't be relied on, especially if a team's going to game plan you to get the ball out early and to run the ball down your throat. Absolutely. And of course, anyone listening is like, the defense has been, yes, of course the defense is amazing. I think it's the lead. I think I wouldn't rather have another defense in the NFL. But our point is this. We know what we've got with the offense. We know our offense is going to struggle to put up points probably the whole season, which is unfortunate because we saw glimmers of hope last year. But those, that glimmer has died out big time early on right now. And I just look at, I looked at that Oakland game thinking even with Chase Daniel we our defense should have won that game by itself and we are a turnover machine which is what helped them keep points off the board and which actually helped the offense and get some momentum back the other way but there's something about and i, I know it's different defensive corners but it did remind me of the giants game i gotta give my cousin brian some credit for this because he mentioned it where saquon barkley was running all over us killed us. We, we got another young up-and-coming running back running all over us yesterday on sunday as well and it makes me think are we do, do we just struggle in the open field uh, is Rokon Smith overrated? I haven't really seen a whole lot from him. That, I mean, I know he missed the game against the Vikings, but so far this year, I've not seen a whole a lot where I'm like, oh, this guy is elite. I, I haven't either. I haven't seen where, like, okay, I see why they picked him eighth overall. Definitely, I see that. There isn't, like, a game stopper. He knows how to get home on blitzes. 
Um, but I don't see anything that's like, yeah, he's a top elite linebacker in the league. Second year, he should be somewhere near. He should show some glimpses of that. But, yeah, the defense is, I'm not, you know, just 100% shitting on defense and saying that they're bad. But before we step out and say that they're great, they have to, like, if teams can't, like, if you're a great defense, you can't have a team methodically do that and constantly do it. Oakland is not known for that. They That's don't have true. any. Who the hell was the receivers? Did you know anybody they were throwing to? No. I saw those names. Hunter Renfro I knew because I was like, oh, that's the baseball player for the Padres. But it's not. It's a different guy from Clemson with the same name, but it spells a little different. But he was a small guy doing things. The tight end was doing good work. I don't know any of the receivers they're throwing balls to. So why did they beat the Bears? Methodically, they beat the Bears' defense, and then they shut down with a defense of names that I haven't heard of. Like, I don't know anybody really on that defense since they took off Vontez Burfick that you say – we got to look out for X, Y, Z. There was that wild, that white dude uh, who was chasing Chase Daniel down, uh, 97, I believe, his number. I don't even know his name still, but he was wreaking havoc with the Bears' offensive line. Charles Leno holding a multiple times. Charles Leno is not good yeah. right now. I mean, neither is Jay Kyle Leno's Long. nephew has been awful. <laughs> Kyle Long, I mean, is Kyle Long just done? He might be. He might be just done. Something's just, I mean, football is a, a shelf life, it's right? Not, yeah, it's not a, you know, you slow decline. It's you fall off the table. It's true. And so he might just be done. And that's sad to see because he was a great bear for what he was, uh, a pro, all pro player. But injuries take their toll. People get younger. You don't have your knees anymore. He's had a flurry of injuries lately. So maybe he's just done. But it's sad to know that all the things we thought of as strengths, the offensive line, we we, never, we like we like. Oh man, we're gonna get better because we're moving check, uh, Daniels to senior, and then we're moving uh, Whitehair to left guard. We're even stronger because that's what uh, Olin and everybody Harry Heastan said. Man, uh, Charles Daniels is a better center than he is a guard, and and Whitehair is a better guard than he is a center. We should get better there, and everybody else is in the same spot. Massey's on the right side, so is Long, and you got. Jay Leno Jr. over there at the left side. And, yeah, he was getting murdered by – I don't still don't know this guy's name. I haven't even looked up my phone to even look him up. So you guys who are listening right now, review the tape and see who that white dude was was killing Chase Daniel and Jay Leno before that. Now I'm just saying Jay Leno. It, it, now yeah, <laughs> I know. I messed you up with that. It's at the tip of my tongue, too. I do want to touch back on what you said earlier, how Gruden outcoached Nagy. Mm-hmm. There was a lot. They didn't look prepared. And – I have to say, at first I didn't think it was a big deal. The Bears arrived in London on Thursday. Oakland was there all week. I know to the average fan they're thinking, oh, come on. How could that really be? I think that it, that does help. I feel like being there the whole week, because jet lag's a thing. I mean, you get in there on a Thursday. I know they fly first class and everything's great. Thursday to play in Sunday, I don't, I don't know. There might have been an effect there. Who knows? I've never traveled longer than four hours and never internationally. But everybody who tells me that they do travel says that it's not that first day, it's the second day. So they traveled on Thursday. It was Friday in uh, London when they arrived and pretty much went right to practice. So Friday, they're practicing. Saturday would be the day that they would be affected the most. And then maybe some carryover on Sunday. So, yeah, I think it's a real thing. I wanted them to go out to Denver the week of, like, like in win- on Wednesday, to get acclimated to Mile a high. different 
thing. Yeah, you're di- you're in a different elevation. I remember me being out there. I'm not an athlete, but still, stop I remember, it, Herb. I remember. <laughs> yeah, it. I can drink the beers with the with the quickness, but that's not athletic. <laughs> but going out there, I know I got altitude sickness. I was in the in the toilet a lot and gasping for air a couple times of just walking around doing regular things I would do in Chicago. They're a little bit more, you know, in shape and finally two athletes. So I wanted them to go out there. I think people should think of those things. And John Gruden spoke to it because his team went out there last year, like the Bears, late in the week, did a regular practice week in Oakland, then flew out to London. And he said, yeah, we were all affected by it. I was, the coach was affected by it. The players were winded. We lost bad. So this year... It would have made more. I mean, it made sense because they were in Indy on Sunday to go back to Oakland, then back to London would have been in multiple uh, long flights. So I think in the future, if the Bears ever go back to international games, London especially, going the right after the Sunday game would be the smartest. And now people know the playbook because there's no reason for that Oakland team to beat the Bears. Like I said, there's nobody on that team that is distinguishable that you say that guy beat us. That team had this guy, and that's why they beat us. Bears are much better at Oakland. Neutral site, they play 10 times. Bears are going to win nine times. I would agree with that. And yeah, so that's, that's the weird part about it. We, had, we came back, too. And when we came back, I thought, all right, good. They, they, they adjusted. They had mistakes in the first half. And I was, I was really encouraged because I thought with the way Daniel played in the first half that they were going to close the playbook and play even more conservative on the offensive side of things in the second half. But they didn't. They actually opened it up, and they realized, oh, wait a minute. Hey, we have Allen Robinson. He's really good at football. Maybe we should throw it in his general direction. And he'll just catch it. Yeah, it's amazing how it took them five games to realize that. And I'm hoping to God that, that Mitch was on the sideline going, oh, oh, yeah, that, I should throw to him, huh? He's pretty good. Like, when they, have not, they now have a bye week coming up, and mm-hmm. it couldn't come at a better time because it gives Trubisky another week to heal up. And from all, everything I've read, he will be back after the bye week. Mm-hmm. Right? Have you heard anything yeah, different? same thing. Okay, good, good. Because I know you have access to more people than I do, Herb, so okay. I don't want you holding back on me. <laughs> if you know information, you share it. All right. And I'm hoping when Mitch comes back, they do open up the playbook to a point where I see him gunning it a little bit. Interceptions happen. Some of the greatest quarterbacks throw a lot of interceptions. Fine. That's obviously when you throw the interceptions, that's a problem. But don't have it where you're afraid to make plays and you're playing too conservative and it's putting all this much more pressure on the defense. Because our defense, as great as it's been, is also an overworked defense if you've been following along. Besides the Washington game, we're even at that time, I remember watching some of the plays you did thinking like, oh, wow, they're really moving the ball pretty easily. And I was thinking, oh, this is, this is a game where the defense is like, we got this, fine. Yeah. You know, it's, it's almost like, oh, you're stealing bases, but I'm not even trying to throw you out at second. Yeah, like, you know, this is garbage time. It's indifference. In it's in- indifference, yeah, defensive indifference, thank you. And that's what I kind of chalked that up to. And even Denver, they were winded by the end of the game. You're mile high thing. So you're like, all right, you, you chalk that drive up to that. There was always something you could chalk up what the other team's offense did against our defense. You're like, all right. Now going forward, though, I want to see if, if he doesn't open up the playbook, it's clear to me that he just doesn't trust Mitch. And if you don't trust Mitch, you have to look to someone else then. Okay? Because you're going to waste this window of a great defense. You know, how long is this going to be a great defense to get? Like, what's the window on an NFL defense that stays elite? I mean, it's going to be short because... Three to four seasons yeah, of lucky. Um, Max money is going to double next year. I think Akeem Hicks money is going to be 
going up there a little bit more. You just re-signed Fuller. You just re-signed Prince of Mokamora. I'm sure HaHa Clinton Dix is going to want some more money, so he'll probably have to leave and you have to find a new safety because Mitch is going to want new money. And if you realize that he's not the guy, you can't extend him for that fifth year. You got to just cut ties and bring in a guy next year with a full offseason, which I propose they bring in Alex Smith. A guy who knows the offense that Matt Nagy is running. A guy who flourished in that offense that Matt Nagy is running. And a guy that come cheap to you because he's coming off a real serious uh, ankle slash leg injury that was catastrophic. If he could play football the way he played in Kansas City and some of it in Washington, that team, that quarterback can lead you to a Super Bowl. And I think Matt Nagy sees what you're seeing, that Mitch is not the one. He sees it. But as a coach, you have to realize that you have a defense that is stout. And that's what John Gruden did to give him credit a little bit more. He realizes that Derek Carr is an elite quarterback, but who the hell is he throwing to? He's got a rookie running back back there. One of the running backs they got with the Khalil Mack trade, one of the first-round guys, Josh Jacobs. Give the ball to Josh Jacobs. Take some pressure off of Derek Carr from throwing to these no nobody receivers who they're expecting to throw to Antonio Brown, but these guys are the guys who are left. And also, let's keep our defense, who is, which is not great, off the field. There, I think coming into that game, there were cornerbacks and their pass defense was last or second to last in the NFL. So that's what Matt Nagy has to do. See, I have a strong defense, but I need my defense to be rested. I have a running back that I think is decent, can catch the ball out of the backfield, but he hasn't done anything as yet as David Montgomery and Mike Davis or Tariq Cohen. None of them have really shown out as yet. So we need to plan for the John Gruden thing. Short passes, short uh, swing passes to our running backs, get them open in space, and get the ball out of Mitch's hands so he is not thinking. And also, no huddles anymore for Mitch. Yeah, because he's terrible with them. He yeah. is the worst. So he thinks too much. That's his problem. When he does a two-minute offense, we saw last year in the playoff game, he's, and he heated your words. He's like, oh, man, 12? Allen Robinson? Decent. Let me throw the ball up. Usual 50-50 balls? Those are 80-20s. Yeah. And so let me just throw the ball up to that guy and see what he can do. The Anthony Miller, who with that great catch this week, um, with uh, Chase through that ball, it looked like an interception. Anthony Miller just stole it away from the, the other uh, the defender. Those are the type of things. You have those type of guys who can go up and get it. So maybe just more of that type quarterback. of – Maybe those type of uh, throws where you're just getting your athletes in space and letting them make plays. Instead of making the quarterback the star, your wide receivers and your running backs become the star because you know we've already talked about the offensive line's not what it w- was and what it is. Get the ball out of his hands. Get the quick offense going. Get the defense on the field because they can score points too. And Tariq Cohen showed you a little bit on the special teams this week too. Yeah, I would agree with that. I love everything you just said there. I like the Alex Smith. See, that's what I like about this podcast. We offer solutions. Yes. We don't just say, should they do this or should they do that? No, we go, here's what we think they should do. Let us know if we're wrong. But also, I, I'm 100% on board with I think Alex Smith, you sold me on Alex Smith, if he's healthy, of course. Because I look at this defense, and I think this is a Super Bowl caliber defense. We just need an offense that could be average. That's all you need. That's really all you need. And even this past week, if you know, what do we score? Twenty-one points on offense, or do we get to twenty-four? 
I think it was. I don't know. I think exactly. we lost. We lost by like a field goal we or kicked, something like that. We kicked the field goal. I know that Eddie Pinheiro got hurt on one of the field goals. I think or extra point. He was yeah. He was pulling his knee on that. It was an yeah. extra point. I think we scored twenty one points. Yeah. So, I mean, we. I know we said last week on this podcast that get him to seventeen, but that didn't work because didn't. the defense didn't show up that first half. That was an outcoached game. I, I look at that game, and I know everyone always wants to point fingers at one specific thing because it's easy. It's just easy to be like, that quarterback lost us this game. Uh-huh. But really, if you're being honest with yourself, I would almost rank it coaching number one, mm-hmm. defensive play number two, mm-hmm. O-line number three, which O-line slash running game almost falls in line together. And then, yes, I put the backup quarterback at number four on that list because he's your backup quarterback. Exactly. Some people are like, well, why can't we have a $7 million backup quarterback like New Orleans? Well, their budget's different, and they don't have the defense we have, and they didn't spend on that side of the ball because they have more offensive weapons that are on cheaper deals, I think, overall. I I don't know why they have such an expensive up. uh, And they feel that Teddy Bridgewater is their guy after Drew Brees leaves. Yeah, and Brees has, what, one or two more years left? Yeah. This could be his last year for all we know. So, yeah, having the best backup quarterback with a 40-something-year-old guy – Makes sense because he's going to get hurt just by being older, doing things, breaking your thumb on somebody else's helmet. You got a 25-year-old quarterback. Why have a great, great option behind him? That makes no sense. He's always looking over his shoulder. You already know that Mitch Trubisky is fragile with criticism. He's fragile with you know uh, people you know, bearing down his neck. So you can't bring head case. extra pressure on him and you have like a, somebody who's maybe better or somebody who can compete. And not, you know, there's no, when, when Drew Brees is healthy, Teddy Bridgewater is happy to go, not happy, but he's like, I understand my role. That's a Hall of Famer. He's going to start. Good point. Now, if you have Teddy Bridgewater behind Drew, uh, behind Mitch Trubisky, Teddy Bridgewater's like, fuck that. I'm better than that guy. I led this team to so many wins, and I'm coming into my own right now. What the fuck am I going to the bench for Mitch Trubisky? That's the type of thing you had to think about. Damn, that's a damn good point, too. I've always believed that on the baseball side of things where, you know, not to bring up my Cubs like always, but they had a lot of young players that kind of thought, no, I should be an everyday starter. Mm-hmm. So, therefore, when they did get some playing time, they tried too hard. Yes. And I feel like that's the way a lot of teams have that problem with certain positions. Quarterback number one, when you have a young quarterback that you're like, hey, this is our guy, you can't have someone breathing down his neck, especially Mm-mm. if it's a guy like Mitch who's shown that he's kind of a mental case. I uh, Typically... And a lot of teams with star veteran quarterbacks don't have good backups, unless you're the Patriots who just – they're like the way the Astros are with pitching right now. They just seem to have a farm system or this system in general in which they know how to find value where no one else sees it. Yeah. I know a lot of people are like, oh, Tom Brady's a system quarterback. I'm like, I hate, I hate that because other offensive corners have left New England, gone on to be head coaches, used the same system, and it failed. And every time they go, well, we didn't have Tom Brady. Yes. So he's more than a system quarterback. I mean, now that he's 44, yeah, he can't throw the bomb the way he used to. But I remember people saying Brady was a system quarterback. The Bears played the Patriots in, like, I want to say 07 or 08 or whatever, when Urlacher was around, mm. and when the Bears were, like, good during the 11 yeah. days. And Urlacher's like, it's going to be Bears weather. We're going to destroy them, which is funny because New England gets cold too, dummy. And I love Urlacher. But it was a really stupid game. <laughs> is statement. that the home game? It was a home game. Where it, like, rained forever? It, no, snowed, actually. Oh, snowed, yes. I remember that yeah, game. Yeah, it was like a blizzard. Yeah. And Brady's throwing bombs that are piercing the wind. They beat us, like, 38-3 to three or something. I remember it was halftime. It was, like, 35 nothing. I was like, yep. I, got, I remember I was at the score, and I left. I was like, hey, I don't going to watch this because um, the people who are at the game covering it and host at that time, 
you know, of course, they got to watch the whole game to give the whole breakdown. I was like, I don't give a fuck. I'm out. If the Bears are not winning, I'll do something else on my Sunday, and I'm uh, chill out. I didn't even watch the second half. I yeah. knew it was ass whooping. Brady showed that he is not a system quarterback that game alone. But anyway, like Jimmy Garoppolo, um, the dude they had before that. Uh, Jacob Brissett right now, too. Yeah. Who was the quarterback, though, that before? Cause oh, Matt Castle. Castle. Everyone's like, Matt Castle didn't even start in college. People forget, Matt Castle made the Pro Bowl with the Chiefs. Another yeah. team. Yeah. So maybe they're just really good at finding quarterbacks. Anyway, I didn't mean and to go off on a side thing. And on developing. Me. I mean, and developing. That's the, like that's the big two. The Bears had Jacoby Brissett. Like, think about that. The, their franchise quarterback left, retired. Andrew Luck is gone for the Colts. And they were like, yeah, this is tough. But Jacoby gives us a chance to win. And they're doing it. They went to the Chiefs and got a victory. Yeah, they lost to the Oakland Raiders the week before, but Jacoby Brissett is not the reason why they're losing. So, yeah, if they had a guy even average like Jacoby Brissett, they would be doing much more than the three and two they are right now. To give Bears fans some solace, the only solace I'll give you, last year they were three and two at this time also. True. Actually, they went three to three and three. And three. They did. Yeah, so I'm not saying they're going to run the table. Their schedule is really fucking hard from here on out. There's no cupcakes left on the schedule. No Washington teams left. No Denver teams. Everybody else they're going to play is a team with, I think all of them have winning records or close to it. Like the Lions, you thought, yeah, Lions suck. They got two games versus the Lions, and the Lions are 2-1-1, one, and one, I think. Yes, so there. you're going to be in trouble with that. Um, Packers again. Vikings again. Uh, Eagles. Saints, Chargers, actually Chargers are two and three. So that's the only team I think left in the schedule that is bad. But also they have Melvin Gordon. They have Aaron Al- uh, Alston Eckler. They got Phil- playmakers. Phillip Rivers come off a bad game. Keenan Allen, who's going to guard him? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's going on for the Bears. It's a good time, as you said before, for them to have a bye week, to reassess where they're at, to understand that they can't just throw their athleticism on the field and that take over. They actually have to concentrate, study. And take their opponents serious when they're on the field. If they don't come out of that bye week prepared and looking like a team ready to go, then you really need to worry. Because look, like, like you were saying, to give a solace, hey, they started off a little shaky last year, and then it got fun. The Bears mm-hmm. got fun. Mm. I remember I went to that game with Nolan, the owner of Galway Bay Pub, against the, the Rams when it was oh, like super cold. Yeah. That was a fun game. They had a couple trick plays. They had this two-point conversion where um, – can't remember who it was now, but I got really drunk that game. But I remember they just did fun <laughs> stuff where I was like, "Holy shit! Oh man, this is crazy!" Because it was they only they only won like sixteen to eight, and it wasn't it was really fun. cold Bears weather. It was cold, but it wasn't like, "Oh man, uh, this is uncomfortable." Yeah, I remember my guy, pretty good, my yeah. guy um, Adam Stazinski went out there. Mitch gave him tickets, and he's like, "Yeah, it was cold, but I was drunk. I was fine. I never really felt the cold." But you know who did? Jared Goff. He felt the cold that he day. Did. They didn't want to be there that day. And I remember, yeah, they didn't beat them, beat them, but the score didn't indicate how bad the beatdown was. Yes, that's true. Those little Hollywood legs were shaking there. And that's, everybody Gulf. was feeling like, man, if we won this Philadelphia game, we'll go out to L.A. and beat the shit out of them again. Even though it's not cold out there, there are no big-time shakes out Because we were in their the heads. Yeah. We were in their freaking heads, man. You know yeah. what I mean? So I felt like I felt good about that, too. It just I, I want to see some sort. I want to – it felt like toward – that's why last year ended in such like heartbreak, not just the double doink and all that. This last seven, eight games of the regular season last year, they were opening up this playbook that we as Bears fans hadn't seen in a while. I mean, Trestman actually had a fun offense. He was terrible on defense. Uh, Fox years were just Ugh. soul-crushing, the Fox years. 
And so you started to feel pretty good about Nagy, rookie coach, all this. You know, he, he won coach of the year. Mm-hmm. So you're thinking, oh, this is great. And then this year, I'm just not seeing it. And I don't know what happened with him and Mitch where some, something must have happened where he's either, I just don't trust this guy or I'm not seeing it in practice because they watch this guy every day. Yeah. They see him every day. So if they're not letting him make plays or, or calling for the plays, I should say, because they, they want him to make plays, of course, they must know something that the average fan doesn't. I don't know if you've witnessed this. I think we spoke about it a little bit last week. It seemed like Chase Daniel, they opened up the playbook. Yeah, that's what I was meant. Yeah, I and agree. So I noticed. That's what, that's what probably he's, Matt Nagy is frustrated about. It's like, this is not that hard. Chase has been in the offense for six years, yes, but he picked it up quickly. And he knows how to do things in the offense. You are a better athlete than him. Way better. You have no excuse. You have no wife, no girlfriend. I mean, you have a girlfriend now, no kids. Chase has all those things. And so, yeah, he has to study this uh, playbook, but he knows it down pat because he's a professional. He understands. He gets it. He processes it. And it's like, okay, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to do Bears offense 202 with you, but we can't. Because you're not there yet. And that's why he's probably frustrated. And that's why you saw the, hey, man the fuck up type of thing. What he's cussing at yeah. Mitch. And probably knows that you need to be a little bit harder with Mitch than the regular quarterback. Because he's all he's probably, oh, and this guy wasn't open. He's like, hey, no excuses. Man the fuck up. This is the play we're doing. You're the quarterback. You're the leader. Do it. And so, even in that second half, I saw some plays from Chase Daniel. I was like... That throw was beautiful. He can throw the ball, but then he makes the dumbest decisions. Like him and uh, Anthony Miller on that last interception. Yeah, God. But even if he's throwing there and Anthony Miller is supposed to run his route there, there's three guys there. There's three Raiders there in that area. So I don't know what he's doing to try to – like maybe Anthony Miller can make another play. Yeah. At that point in the game, you should have been trying for the field goal. Yeah. You should just get in a field goal territory and trust that your defense could outplay them, even though they didn't look good up to that point, in overtime. That's what I would have been going for if I were uh, Matt Nagy. Because you were asking – I mean, it was just asking a lot to try to go for the touchdown right there with, a, with Daniel, who's just not used to running that two-minute drill, so, so to speak. You know yeah. what I mean? Just hurry even up and with, go. Yeah, the week of preparation, he's still a backup. There's a reason a why he's backup. been a backup. Yes. And a lot of back, show, yeah. And he ahead. showed you this week why he's a backup. And Oakland game plan for Chase Daniel, and Chase Daniel showed up. Yep. The guy that everybody knows, that's why he's a backup, showed up. And all of our and everybody who's out there listening uh, narratives of, man, maybe we just have Chase Daniel be the quarterback and that's- we'll take it to the thing. We'll take it to the Super Bowl. That shit got crumbled really quickly because – we see he has limitations athletically, and when somebody games plans for a week against him, there's going to be some troubles about his tendencies, what he does. Blitzes right up the middle are going to kill him because he has no no mobility in that None. regard. And so, yeah. Now, uh, we're I in agreement for, that Mitch is a better quarterback. Much better. But the question is, is he the right quarterback to lead this team deep into a playoff run? And no. Matt, no, right now, gun to my head, no. I'm hoping that changes. There was glimpses last year where I was like, okay, okay, mm-hmm. first full season. Nice. I'm liking some of the progress being made. Mm-hmm. And then it seems to go back a little bit. So I do, And this year, I just haven't seen it. And more disappointing is that I don't have a definitive answer because I saw this statistic before the Viking game. And, you know, you didn't play much in the Viking game, so this, the stat holds true. That Mitch had, I think, the second most or the most um, 
or the least amount of passes over 15 yards, attempted passes over 15 yards. Yeah. Meaning we're being conservative with him as is. So then when we do want a deep pass, it's like, all right, I've been throwing little six-yard passes all game. Now you want me to throw on 25 yards. I'm a little rusty. I, that, I've never liked that strategy. That kind of like reminds me of how we were with Rex Grossman back in the day. I remember in the Super Bowl, in the first half, Grossman was six of eight. Great, great percentage, but only eight pass attempts? That's not good. Not at all. And then in the second half, when we're like, we need you to Down. pass a lot, he's like, well, I, okay. And then he wasn't good. And, of course, the, the completion percentage went way down. I just didn't, he didn't pass enough. You need, reception you need a balanced Hayden. offense. Yeah, that was terrible. Like, you need a balanced offense in today's NFL and even in the NFL in 2007. The NFL's really been a passing league since 2002, 2000. Even late 90s, you could say, with uh, the greatest show on turf with the Rams, St. Louis Rams with Kurt Warner and everything. It's been a heavy passing league for 20 years now, and I still feel like Bears fans need to be convinced of that. But even forget Bears fans being convinced of that. And I'm a diehard Bears fan. I'm with you guys. The front office still needs to be convinced of that. And I don't know what it is where every now and then it's like, well, we just need a better running game. You can't win with defense and running alone. I mean, it's happened every now and then. I guess you could argue Denver did it that year where Peyton Manning was hurt most of the year and he came back for the Super Bowl. Sure. The Ravens did it. Oh, the Ravens have uh, – did they have a good running game? Yeah, they had a pretty good running game that year. The uh, first championship they won or the second one? The one second one. Uh, I'm trying to think of who their running back would have been. I that, can't remember yeah, right but, now. But, I mean, oh, Ray Joel, Rice. Yeah, well, yeah, so yeah, yeah. So he was elite, yeah. Yeah, but Joe Flacco was pretty good. During he was those, at least average. Yeah, during those uh, postseason games. So, yeah, if you, you're not going to win, and that Denver thing is an anomaly. Yes. You have the best, one of the best quarterbacks of all time playing like shit in the Super Bowl, and they, they won. They still had to respect Peyton Manning. Yeah. So that opened up possibilities, even though he really didn't have it that game no, or he that was, year. Yeah, he was done, and he, he knew it. He was done. Everyone but knew that was his swan We song. don't have anybody close to Peyton Manning, and no one close to, like you just said, respecting Mitch or Peyton, if you will, say, okay, yeah, he's not there, but he might give some of that magic, some of that Peyton Manning ma- magic, and we got to be on our P's and Q's. They're like, okay, we don't care. Mitch can't throw here. He can't throw left. He can't throw the deep ball, so we don't need to do anything but get our man within 15 yards, tackle him, and see what happens because he's going to make a mistake. Just like the Charles Woodson used to say about Jay Cutler, it's like all we got to do is tackle our men, and Jay's going to come to us. He's going to make a mistake. Jay's going to throw the ball to us. So I think that's what the Green Bay Packers pretty much said the first week. Make Mitch play quarterback. Yeah, and Green make Bay. Mitch play quarterback, and you're gonna win the game. And Green Bay's been getting our quarterbacks right for years, and they got two great quarterbacks in their career, and they're still bitching. Fucking Green Bay, calm down. You got the Ungrateful best quarterback in the pieces of shit. Yeah, Come and on. you got a great team. God damn it, they just went down to Dallas and destroyed those people. Destroyed I was thinking Dak Prescott, who's gonna be a free agent, might be a guy the Bears look at, but he didn't look too sharp. Oh, he was terrible. He looked really bad. Like, and we don't even need that guy. And this is the problem with the NFL. And it's unfair to Mitch because it's his only his third year. But this is the NFL. These decisions need to be made after year three. Where? Are you going with this guy? Is he your franchise guy? Cool. Give him the fifth year. Talk about extension after the third year. If he's not, you're bringing in a guy next year, and Mitch has to step the fuck up. And not a guy that is you're signing for multiple years. This is a guy like I was interviewing, um, Alex Smith, five, six, ten million dollars on a two, three year deal. He's at the end of his career, but he can still play football. A guy like that to compete with Mitch with the understanding that 
Alex Smith will probably win out on that on that deal. You've already rejected Mitch's fifth year or didn't extend his fifth year. So his fourth year, which will be next year, will be his last as a Bear. He goes somewhere else. You, as the Bears, move forward with Alex Smith. Draft another quarterback in the next draft. And hopefully... I don't want Pace being that guy making that draft pick. Oh, my God. He is terrible. If it's not Mitch, then I think Pace has to go. I think Pace's future with the Bears is tied to Mitch's performance. As good as Pace has been on the defensive side of things... the other stuff? Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, thank you. You've been great on the defensive side of things. But this isn't like someone who's a proven winner in the past. This isn't like forgiving Theo Epstein for spending some bad money on a couple (laughs) players, or three or four players, really. Because he's been like a proven winner in his entire career. Yeah, this is pace. You know what I mean? I'm sorry, Mike you Lennon. Yes, you don't have that luxury, Mike. Yeah, who are his? Who's his quarterback history with us? Mike uh, starters. Obviously, you know, I'm not going to fault anyone for sending Mark Sanchez as a backup. Why not? He's cheap. Fine. Whatever. He's taking some snaps, even off a guy's ass once, like or ran into a guy's <laughs> ass, caused a fumble. It's like fine, okay, whatever. But he, his starting choices have been Mike Lennon and Mitch Trubisky. And, and if Mitch doesn't turn it around, those are two pretty big strikes while wasting an elite defense. And that, yes, he deserves credit for getting. He, I mean, he, took the, he, he made the he, this decision to go for Khalil Mack. That took balls. He's, he's made some great free agent signings. He's, he's made great draft picks on the defensive side of things. Offensively, I thought like he was turning a quarter with Mitch and then Allen Robinson and everything like that. But I really believe his future is tied to Mitch's performance. Should be, should it be. It should yeah. be because I mean, you look at Watson and you look at uh, Mahomes. And, it, and I know we both said no one saw Mahomes coming, fine. But Watson was a winner in college. And a lot of people thought that's the second best quarterback or the best quarterback in the draft even. I mean, the Chiefs saw him and moved up from the mid-20s to 10 to pick up Mahomes. So their personnel, including Matt Nagy, identified a guy that they said, this guy's going to be special. We're going to move up in the first round to pick him. And he gets to sit down for a year, get our development, sit behind a guy like Alex Smith that's going to teach him how to be a quarterback in the NFL. So, yeah, yeah. sitting behind Mike Lennon is stupid. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, like Aaron Rodgers spent three years on the bench watching Brett Favre. Yes. That's how you do it with a young quarterback. You don't have a young quarterback sit behind a joke. You either, you should. That's that's my new memo to NFL GMs across this great land of ours. You, if you have a rookie quarterback that you're drafting high, you make him the starter right away, or you have him under the tutelage of a star. That's how it goes. And there's just certain things with quarterbacks. Like, we mentioned how some teams have the really good backup, and most teams don't have a good backup. Mm-hmm. And I remember Peyton Manning, for example. When Peyton Manning went down and missed that whole season, the Colts were, what, 1-16 in 16 or 1-15, yeah, I they mean? Had Jim Sorgi. Yeah, they were awful, and that led to them getting and Andrew Painter. Luck. Oh, God, Painter was terrible. You get Andrew Luck out of that draft, which then let them go, all right, well, we're going to let go of you, Peyton, because you're paying more money, and we got this number one pick. This is just how that's going to go. And that worked out for both teams, I feel like, because Luck gave you some good years there. Prematurely retired, but whatever. More power to him. Wants to keep his brain intact. I had no problem with that. Uh, that's the thing, too. I, I often look at some teams where it's like, oh, if your star quarterback goes down, you should call that year wash. Hey, listen, guys, it just wasn't our year. We didn't spend a lot on a backup because we spent a lot on this guy who's amazing. So we figure he goes down. All right, we're cashing our chips. We're hoping for a high draft pick, and then we're going to come back next year with him healthy and a badass draft pick. And that's how you really keep going. That makes sense. Makes I mean, total sense, right? Yeah, there's no reason to spend millions of dollars on a if you have a mid 30s quarterback. If you have Aaron Rodgers, 
I don't know who his backup is right now. I think it was somebody uh, who the UCLA quarterback or some bad black quarterback that's behind him, just biding his time. Same thing that's going out there with uh, Philip Rivers out there in L.A., where I think Cardell Jones is his backup. So you don't need a great backup behind a guy that's in his mid-30s. Drew Brees, they got a guy because they see the transition that's going to happen. He... um, uh, Teddy Bridgewater was once a big-time prospect. He was, definitely. Hurt himself, got traded as they got uh, better quarterbacks, better quarterbacks. And Case that quarterback Keenum. got hurt, too. They had, yeah. like, three quarterbacks in a row get injured, and then there was, like, their third-string guy that they won the most games with the Vikings. Yeah, so they got Case Keenum that did the job. Then they got spent way too much money on Kirk Cousins. He's bounced Who, I'm sorry. I got to know this is going to drive me nuts. It went Bridgewater to Sam Bradford. Oh, yes. Then Bradford to Keenum. Yes, because was Sam, third string. Because they went and got Sam Bradford from Philadelphia, yes. who was getting replaced by Knowles of Foles, and then he moved over to the Minnesota. And of course, he got hurt, and he made a lot of money in his career. He made like over hundred thousand, hundred million dollars, yeah. because he was before the the cap on the rookies. Neither here nor there. But Bridgewater, they see him as the next quarterback of the New Orleans Saints after they uh, transition from Drew Brees. Two, three years down the road. They can have that the luxury. Regular teams can't. If you're going to have a quarterback that is a top-notch guy, like you said, that guy could be the guy. And if you're out and that guy gets hurt, deuces, you got a capable backup that's going to do some things for you. And if you're a good coach, you're going to coach to that. You're going to say, okay, this guy can't do this, that, and the other. Let's coach what he can do, hand the ball off more, get the ball into other people's hands so he doesn't have to carry us. And hopefully our defense can get us a couple wins. We can look still respectable. But yeah, if you lose Peyton Manning, Peyton, Pater or Sorge are going to look sucky because your team was built around Peyton Manning getting the ball to your, your uh, high Priced uh, targets out there. Sorge can't do the the nine route. He can't do the deep seven cut route. So yeah, I think most smart teams even have to understand. And if it's an injury where your star quarterback's out for the year, that's just it. Just wasn't your year. And you, but you still want to guard against injury somewhat. So you try to go for a quarterback who will get you a five hundred record while your quarterback's out. You know, and the Bears have actually had a decent run of that even. In the days of Cutler, you know, McCown was a solid backup quarterback. He, a guy that will get you a 500 record, which is what you wanted your backup. Now, it was annoying when people were like, he's better than Cutler. He should start over Cutler. It's like, well, no, not really. No. You know what I mean? Yeah, he made some nice plays to Elshon Jeffrey. But overall, there's a reason this guy gets paid this money and this guy doesn't. And you just have to accept that. And with, with Daniel, it's the same thing. Look, he, he won you. He, he, you got to win in the Vikings game. You give that, that win to him because... Mitch got hurt, what, three plays in or something like that? Mm-hmm. I was at the game. I don't even remember. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, and then he lost, he lost you this game. And I don't even want to put the whole loss on him because there were so many things that we've gone over. And now we have a bye week, and now it's Mitch's time to shine. Let's take the kid gloves off. We are now into midseason, basically. It's time. It is time. No more messing around. Let's go. And, and that's what I want to see from the Bears the rest of the way. And this is the thing. This week, they're pretty much off for the m- most part this week. The coaches aren't off. Matt Nagy is looking directly, directly at the Saints, saying, what do we do against Teddy Bridgewater? What if Drew Brees comes back? And devising a game plan to beat the Saints. That's it. I don't care if the team looks good doing it. 
a coach's job is to make sure the team is the best prepared versus the team that they're playing versus to get the maximum outcome. I'm not an outcome guy 100%, but coaches should be. They should do the right things to get to the right outcome, but to keep your job, you got to get wins instead of losses. So what do the Saints do well? Why will the Saints beat us? Why they'll beat us because Michael Thomas is killing us. They'll beat us because Alvin Kamara can't be stopped. I'm worried about that guy. They, that they'll guy beat us because Cameron Jordan's in the backfield eating either Mitch or uh, Chase Daniel. He's beating our line badly. So let's game plan for those things and make sure that we have more points on the board after, after the game uh, is over. Simple so enough. <laughs> that is what Matt Nagy is doing right now and getting his team prepared. And like you said before, remember John Fox, before he came to the Bears, had some ridiculous record of being very prepared and having the team winning after bye weeks. With the Bears, I think he was 0-3 after bye weeks and getting that ass whooped too. Yeah, the game passed that guy by. Yeah, Big time. so you, you, have, you have the advantage on the Saints. You have advantage of time. That's why I was so mad at the Packers game because you had the whole offseason to get that team ready, Mitch ready in particular, to beat the Packers. You put out three points. That was some cockiness, I feel like, on Nagy's part where it's like, oh, it's preseason, we'll take our time, we know yeah. what we got, we look good at the end of the year, we're the kings of the north now, that sort of thing. Which, by the way, Sophie Turner was wearing a Bears jersey at the game. You see the pictures of that? I did see that. I haven't seen the show, but I uh, understood that everybody she's, was very she's impressed. Jean Grey, so I was very happy to see it. It was, <laughs> it was a good look on her, and um, I liked it. Anyhow, but uh, see, I'm still a, a teenage boy at heart. Um, yeah, I, I just thought that was a little bit of cockiness, a little bit of arrogance of him just being like, mm, no, we don't have to put too much into preseason. It didn't feel, it felt that way, and I know that's the new look that a lot of teams are doing now where it's like you, you rest your starters because, heaven forbid, they get injured, which I understand that you look – but you don't look – you look stupid that one year that the – this was like two and a half decades ago. It was like in the 90s. We're in Jason Seahorn. Remember him? I do and remember The him. Giants. They decided let's try him out on maybe returns or something like that because he was a DB. Yeah. And he'd never done that before. And he got hurt in preseason playing a position he never played before. And everyone was like, you morons. So that I can understand. There's a fear there. I can't remember who the Giants coach was. It was it uh, Parcells? He coached them. I, I, don't I don't know. I don't know think if he it was, was Parcells the coach by that time. I don't think he was because that seems like a move he would never do. But it was a movie that was talked about for years, and it was always the example that teams use of be careful in the preseason. You don't want this to happen. But it's a false equivalency to have your quarterback play quarterback. If he gets hurt, you know, twisting an ankle on a scramble, that could have happened week one just as well if it could have happened. You need to get these guys reps, especially when you're opening against your rival in a conference game on Sunday night football or Thursday night football, 100-year anniversary and all this big hoopla around that. That is a big momentum game. And I know, and we did win the next week, but barely. We yeah. could have been very well be 0-2 that second week against Denver there. Oh, 100% we could have been. We could have been, I think we could have been 0-3. If they didn't get their shit together in Washington, like that's, that's true. Washington's just terrible. They fired their coach already. That's the only reason the Bears won that game is because they were playing Washington. Who's already they, fired their coach? They played. If they play any, maybe any other team, sans Miami, they're losing that game. If they played the way they played in the third quarter, definitely. Yeah. We'll give them the Jets too. <laughs> their, their quarterback's got the kissing disease. All right, uh, well, let's shift like on to some other stuff kid. here what because we could talk Bears for hours on end. I bet. Uh, and we almost have been an hour into the Bears conversation. Uh, right now, Major League Baseball playoffs are going on. The Yankees have already swept the Twins, which I know you're happy about. Oh, so great. You do not like the Twins. The Twins I don't. I don't like, the, I don't like New York. I don't like any team in the Central. I don't mind the Tigers, but I hate all the rest of the three, 
like the Indians, the Royals, and the Twins. I think the Royals, number one, I hate the most. Twins, then the Indians. Let me ask you this as a White Sox fan. So we're doing some White Sox talk right now. Yeah. Do you hate the Royals, number one, because for some reason, even when the Royals are a 50-win team, yes. they manage to beat the Sox. All the time. Right? Yeah, All the fucking so time. so weird to me. I hate it. That's like baseball, Bruce, though. Bruce Chin, Joe Randa, just like non-good players would just doubt, like, okay, the White Sox on the schedule? Let me throw a no-hitter right now. Or some garbage player that's going to – that's why Hawk said, there's a Kansas City special. He hated the the Royals because it just nibble you and dink and dunk you to fucking death, and then they'll be fucking uh, always our fights, our little scrums, are versus the Royals. the Royals. It's versus the Royals because they're always you guys, dicks. Even when fans did terrible things, it was against it the, was Royals. the Royals. Yeah, First, it was what, uh, Gamboa. Let's be honest. What did Gamboa say? He must have said something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those are fine, upstanding legues. I mean, oh man, you know what? My dad works against uh, those guys. My dad retired from the Chicago Park District a while ago now, about almost 15 years ago. And, uh, and he was worked for the Park District on the south side, his whole career, basically. Most of his career was on the north side for a little bit. Anyway, but it was mostly in Bridgeport, Canaryville, that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And he knew of that family. Mm. And right when that happened, he looked at like me and my sister because we saw like the highlights. I remember watching like Fox 32 News. Like, I think it was like Corey McPherson breaking news or whatever. Like This just happened. And uh, looked at us and just like, Irish trash. <laughs> He's just like, <laughs> there were so many hillbillies because just a little for our listeners to know, um, you know, in Chicago, there's like Irish people have money. They call them like lace curtain or whatever. And then the rest of just, he called him hillbilly Irish. I remember him telling me this really funny story about when he was working at a park in Canaryville. It might've been, is it Boyce? I think Boyce Park down there. And uh, this one kid, um, these two kids were like fighting his seven. He's like, hey, what are you guys fighting? He's like, you know, knock it off. And they were probably like nine, 10 years old. And he's like, he called me a hillbilly. And he's like, oh, come on, don't call him a hillbilly. Be nice, all this kind of stuff. And then later at the end of camp, because it was like day camp or sports camp or something, Mm -hmm. the kid said, oh, by the way, I'm not going to be here next week. And my dad's like, oh, where are you going to be? He goes, oh, we're going to Kentucky to visit family. And my my dad's like, so you are a hillbilly. (laughs) (laughs) I yelled at the kid. He was being honest. What are you doing? (laughs) I always love that story. Kids get observational skills. Come on. Yeah, he knew you were a hillbilly, and he called you once. So I don't don't know if I should have yelled at him, actually. Maybe he was on the right. And also, you know, being called a hillbilly is not the worst thing, especially if you are one. Come on. It's not. There's nothing wrong with it. Lean into that shit. I've been through Kentucky and Tennessee. They're they're fine folk. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I always thought that was crazy with that, how it would always happen against Kansas City. And, um, and yeah, that family that you named was kind of notorious down there for getting into a lot of trouble. And I'm, I'm sure Cub fans, their number one nemesis are the Cardinals, then it's the Brewers, and then the Pirates and the Reds come somewhere behind there. But if I was a Cub fan, it would, I would hate, in this order, the Pirates, the Reds, then the Cardinals, then the Brewers, because... The Pirates, firstly, there's some pest. And with the Clint Hurdle thing, talking about your player, uh, Bayek, throwing balls at you all the time. Like, I would hate those some bitches. They kind of remind me of the Kansas City Royals, but without the winning, without the championships and the going to the World Series twice. And I remember when they went to the World Series uh, the first time. And, like, who are you cheering for, Herb? you got to cheer for the Royals. Like, I'm a goddamn White Sox fan. What the fuck would I cheer for the Royals for? Same thing when the Cubs versus the Indians. It's like, no, I don't care if you stuck up this Chicago thing. That's the fucking Indians. I hate them with a passion. I will not root for the Indians versus anybody besides another team in the Central, especially not the Cubs. I got a bunch of Cub fan friends. Who do I, who do I know in Cleveland? Yeah, that's, that's, good. that's a great city. point. 
By the way, Cleveland is terrible. I'm sorry, people, if you're listening from Cleveland. You know the city sucks. That's why you live here. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I it, it, the Pirates were a very annoying team. The Reds were an annoying team. See, the you guys always had like the Royals. I know they were good for a nice little stretch there, yeah. down 15, 16, to back to work, back, back. I'm sorry, I can't talk back to back World Series winning in 15 or 14, 15. I meant to say. The Reds and Pirates have been the two premier bad teams of the NL Central since the Central has been a thing. Mm-hmm. And they've always kind of taken turns, which one, when, when the Cubs were good, where you're like, why are we losing to the Reds? This year is the Reds. We had a losing record against the Reds. Yes, I and, remember that. You know, and the Pirates, you're right. Clint Hurdle, I can't stand. I don't like the way they play baseball. And even when we beat them in that wild card game, they were shitty. Um, going into that season, even though I want him desperately, and I know you want him desperately too, Garrett Cole. Right around the All-Star break, Garrett Cole's like, we're not afraid of the Cubs. I remember like, him saying that. Everyone's talking about how great the Cubs are. We know who the Cubs are. You know. Is that the, the wild card game? Uh, well, he that, said that, that earlier happened? in the year, and then we caught up. You know, we, we, They finished with 98. That was when the Central was by far the best division because the Cardinals won 100. The Pirates won 98. We won 97. Yeah. And those were the three best teams in all of baseball. Actually, we tied with the Royals for 97 wins apiece, and every other team was below 97. So I think – that's why I kind of wish baseball had seedings like we talked about because we would have been a thir- three seed instead of this one and done wild card situation. And um, going into that, I think Garrett Cole said something else. And I get he's trying to hype up his team. I don't hate the athlete for that. But the Pirates, this is one of my favorite Twitter like smack talk, I guess to say. The way Jake Garrett responded with like, just know it doesn't matter. Like he just had this, I can't remember the exact wording of the tweet, but it was this badass like almost like pro wrestler tweet where it's like, no matter what you do, you do whatever you got to do to make yourself feel like you're going to win, but no, you're not going to. Because that's how dominant Jake Arrieta oh, was in that second half. He felt it. Like, it was like, and as a Cup fans, I'm sure you guys, like, if he's feeling it, it's over. It's like, hey, Co- this, like, somebody's like, hey, just give me a point. Just give me one run. Yeah. And I remember the Kyle Schwarber home run off of Garrett Cole. That was unbelievable. That's when I was like, man, these Cubs are something different. They're really something different. And then you know, you know they he won. He was a rookie when he did that. Yeah. Too, then shortly. they won versus the Cardinals in the next yeah, series. Yeah, we won in four, and then we got swept. And by the then Mets. yeah, and then I remember Cubs fans being cocky that going against the Mets, like, hey, we swept them in the regular season. We're good. That does not matter. Seven yeah. nothing. And then the uh, Mets are like, that's enough. Here's four for your ass. Yeah. Get your ass out of the playoffs. Yeah, they did too. And that was good. Good learning experience for Definitely. the Cubs to say, all right, when we get in that shit, we can't be cocky. Regular season means absolutely nothing. Just get these wins and let's get in that playoff and murder folks. Yeah, because they were smarter about it too going into that. In that 2016 season, they monitored innings. Because Jake Arrieta, his career high before that was like maybe 2014 in which he threw like 150 innings. Mm-hmm. Jake Arrieta, people forget, had a great 2014. Great. I remember l- talking on the air with uh, Shep. I, don't, I didn't recall. I didn't predict he would be great. I said, you know, you've got a guy that's got some good bona fides. you got for Clevenger and Feldman. Feldman. So you got a guy there that is going to give you some good innings. I was like, you know, the Cubs, I was kind of like stroking his ego. I was like, Cubs are going to be fine in 2015. You'll be all right. You got a good guy like John Lester. You're going to fucking do this game with Chris Bryant, which I called an all-star or a Hall of Famer before he ever started. Went to his first game. I love Chris Bryant. Don't ever trade him, Cubs. You're dumb if you do. Um, but, yes, I was like, He's, he'll be fine. He'll give you 200 innings. He'll be, you know, mid threes. And then he won stuck the ball up everybody's ass and became a one great seven year, I think oh it was. Oh, my Jesus. I, no, I don't know if anybody expected that. Paul no. Knurkel said that he had great stuff. He had the best stuff they had ever seen when he was in Baltimore. But, like, I don't even think he thought that Jake Arrieta would turn to the guy that he turned into for the Cubs in 2015. So a lot of 2016. that was Basio, the former pitching coach who turned out to be racist, I believe. That's where the Tigers let him go? Yeah. 
He was, yeah. He what was a bummer because he was legitly a good pitching coach. Hey, Amen. Jeez. But yeah, there's, there's I'm no sure there's the a couple out there. I'm I'm not I'm sure there's a couple out there. Oh no, I'm not, I'm not going to battle for Chris Basio. No, I'm saying that there are a couple of races out there that actually do a good job. Oh and yeah, some, statistically some, speaking, right? Yeah, and sometimes <laughs> you just got like, mm, yeah, I guess so. Whatever. Yeah. We're not we're not you know no no UN. Get him on an apology tour. Come on, you know what I mean? I mean, he was just doing it too much. Well, here we'll Detroit. Well, now we could we could mention this. I want to talk about this a little bit here. Um, and we did talk a little bit of playoffs. Uh, the owner of the bar has seen us on camera going, why are we in the corner? Because there are other people, dude. There were people on the other side of the bar where we recorded last time, and I just didn't want to be bothered by people overhearing us and being weird. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's the problem when you recorded a bar. You either want it to be packed where it's no big deal, mm-hmm. but if there's only a few people, they're like they're clearly like listening to us and probably thinking our takes are wrong, but they're fucking wrong because our takes are great, Herb. Exactly. They're not going to tell you otherwise. Yeah, I didn't know who it was. I was thinking it was one of your friends. I thought it was the, uh, that Liza girl, the comedian, but uh, she lives in uh, New York. Yeah, uh, I forgot her last name. She did look. That does look like Lisa, my Lisa. friend Lisa Traeger. Yeah. yeah, it's spelled Liza though. I get how people do that. Okay. Um, I was gonna say. So yeah, right now there's a couple elimination games in the NL. That'd be tomorrow. So we'll tr- touch on that. We'll we'll be into that the NLCSs and the ALCS next week. So we'll we'll try to dive into that. As far as managerial searches go, it looks like Joe Madden to Anaheim is a done deal. I'm happy for him. Um, again, this is weird because it's a it's a manager move where I'm like, yeah, I think it was the best move. It was best to move on because clearly there was just different direction philosophically between the front office and and Madden, and I do trust this front office more than Madden. Um, and I'll always love Joe, and I think he is going to be he's a Hall of Fame manager. He gets to ride off into the sunset with the team that he started it all off with. This will be the last team he ever manages with. He says he only wants to do another you know, three to five years. That'll probably be the contract he signs with Anaheim. He gets to manage. Mike Trout, perhaps one of the greatest baseball players of all time when he's all said and done. Choi Tani. Yeah, he gets to reunite with LaStella. So, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I hope it's fun for him. Um, he gets to deal with Pujols, who isn't nearly what he used to be, but still, oh, I got to manage that guy once. That's cool. I mean, you know, fun stuff like that for Joe Madden. So we we'll wish him all the best. That seems like a done deal. Beltran sniffing the Mets deal. Joe Girardi sniffing the Mets deal. I like that Loretta interview that your station, The Score, did over the weekend, I believe it was. Yeah, with, with Speak, inside the clubhouse. Inside the clubhouse. They did, Speaks does a great job. Um, so is Bruce. They're both good. And um, that made me kind of warm up to Loretta a little bit, where I'm like, okay, all right. I, I like what he had to say. The thing about Loretta is Padres, he was working with the Padres for a long time. He's a Northwestern educated guy, so he's on par with uh, Theo guy. and Jed on the, on the analytics and such. And so there's two teams that really want him, so that's good to have. That's what one of the things I didn't like about David Ross. Like only oh, the you C- made that point, yeah. Only the Cubs want David Ross because it's the Cubs thing. Like I want a manager that is wanted by multiple teams because he is his style, his thought process, all the stuff that he does is attractive to anybody on the in the league, not just specifically for a team because that team had him for two years and he was the personal catcher for one of the pitchers on the team. This That's is, a good point. But I want, like, Moretta is going to be Theo and Jed's guy. This is his first opportunity. If he gets the job via the Cubs, he'll be, you know, beholden to them. That's kind of what I like. I like a a, a symbiotic relationship before, between the GM and the manager if we're going to do that. If we're going to have a manager take a job, I want them to be on the same page. We got this guy because he'll get us uh, doubles versus left-handers. Play him yeah. versus left-handers. Do not play the guy who cannot hit left-handers. I don't care how good of friends you are. I don't care if you promised him that. 
this is how we're going to do our lineups. This is how we're going to set up our bullpen. This is what we think is puts us in the best position to win this many games. That's a great point. And I hear a lot of people say, oh, they just want a yes man. And now that I think about it, is that so wrong? No. Is that so wrong to want someone who's on your style of thinking? That way there's, you guys can just get things done and get the information out quickly? Of course you want someone who's going to say, well, I disagree and here's why, though. Yes. It can't just be like gut reaction. I think what made Joe Madden a great manager for a super young team or young teams in general is he does blend new school with old school. And I think these young players, when you're new to Major League Baseball, you're trying to find your way, trying to figure out do you belong, you kind of want a guy who could relay that old school mentality of, let me tell you about this guy back in 1983 and where he, and now how I could relate this to you to make you feel more comfortable here. But also the new school approach of, this is why you would succeed as the number two hitter, Chris Bryant, because you'll get more fastballs in front, you know, blah, 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 whatever. I'm just, mm-hmm. you know, trying to fill in the blank there. That's where I think he's really special. And I think, I think Madden the best roster for him would be the San Diego Padres. Yes. Then even the White Sox next. Mm-hmm. Anaheim's probably not even the best roster for him. But I don't think he's ring chasing anymore. Yeah, it's in the He's middle. got his ring. He's got his credentials for the Hall of Fame. He's won manager of the year three times in two different leagues. And it, winning the World Series alone with the Cubs put him in Cooperstown. I think he's probably thinking this is nice. This is a nice little round of way to circle my career to end it with the team I started with. And, and the, the caveat, the gravy of coaching Mike Trout, that's, that's pretty sweet. And there's no losing for him. If they continue to be the Angels around 500, still have Mike Trout doing spectacular performances, it's like, well, managers don't really matter that much. Mm-hmm. But if somehow, some way, Mike Trout is still Mike Trout, Shoei is becomes the, double, the dual threat that he was promised to be, Pujols has some type of resurgence where he's not the bad player that he is currently, and you get some pitching effort from guys you're not expecting, then you get, oh, okay, Joe Madden is the reason why this team won. Look at his legacy. Tampa, they were sucky before he came. Cubs hadn't won a, a World Series in 108, and then you got the Angels back in the playoffs. Oh, my God. Joe Madden goes out. It with is a, a win-win. Yeah, goes out with a bang, and if he loses, he's like, yeah, the Angels. It was the Angels' fault. It wasn't, it wasn't yeah. Joe Madden's fault. Joe Madden's a Hall of Famer. And they'll probably make some moves because you don't bring in an expensive manager not to at least give him the best chance of winning. Yeah, and that's what the meeting was about yesterday. I don't know whether him and Hahn right now, the press conference should be called. He's not interviewing with anybody else. He should go down to San Diego for one quick interview to see what they're talking about. But otherwise, he's made his mind up. They've made their mind up. It's going to be like the fire. They fired um, Brad Osmus after one year. They knew it. They gave him the Rick Renteria. Yeah, they're like, hey, we got a guy, a real guy out here. We appreciate you, brother, but there's real motherfuckers out here, so we're going to have to snap him up. Enjoy your money, though. Get out. Yeah, you can't be too upset when you're getting paid to do nothing next season, Brad Osmus. And he'll eventually get another shot. People love giving catchers redemption. Anybody with one year with the Angels and didn't, I don't know if, I didn't yeah, watch like, Angels games every like day. So a little he, below that. Yeah, he probably, he didn't do enough to remove any chance he has in the future is what I'm saying. Yeah. Anyway, what, what am I saying? He managed the Tigers, actually, too. He's not he a did. manager. Yeah, he did so. manage the Tigers. Totally. All right. Um, I want to talk, well, if any Bulls fans listening, they had their first preseason game. There's really not a whole lot to talk about. Mm-mm. We'll dive into a lot of NBA. I definitely want to dive into the – I don't want to dive into it right now because we're pressed against time a little bit. We try to keep the podcast around an hour-ish. Uh, we will get into the whole NBA China thing because I think that's interesting. Man. It's an interesting thing to talk about. I know we want to get into it now, but we'll. I think we'll touch it. We'll probably – we could leave it off with that next week, and then we can start to preview the NBA. 
Um, I saw some Zion highlights last night that looked pretty good. Pretty it's going to be in town tomorrow. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the NHL, the Blackhawks started. They lost 4-3 to three of the Flyers. Uh, Patrick Kane still looks elite. The defensive pairings, I know we're banged up. Murphy sounds like he's going to be ready for the home opener, which is tomorrow or no, Thursday. Thursday. That's annoying. Why did that? The NHL, and usually baseball is really stupid with their scheduling too. They had four playoff games on Friday, four playoff games yesterday, Monday. People work those days. Why couldn't you figure it out to schedule those on the weekends? I know maybe you don't want to compete with the NFL so much, but why not? Make this this fun all-day thing. You don't think people at bars would have been like, hey, let me get the Bears game here, and then let me throw some, I want to root against the Cardinals over here. I want to do, like, it just seems like a stupid move to have day baseball on a, in the playoffs, your most important time of the year. I, I agree. You're playing a 1 o'clock game on a Monday in October? Kids are at school, bud. And you already have a youth problem with your sport. And then hockey, they need to be in more in rhythm. They do some stuff every now and then where I'm like, Wait, it's, it's six days between games. And also... Like, why wasn't this play, game played? If you're going to do that, why wasn't this game played, like, weeks or a week before the regular season starts for everybody else? Because now the Blackhawks have that, home, that game they played in Prague on Friday. Their home opener is on Thursday. So that all that time, other teams are playing. So they have to, like, the rest of the schedule is going to be a crunch for the Blackhawks from the jet lag of coming back from Prague. they got to play all these games like where other teams have probably already played multiple games, two, three games, and the Blackhawks are just getting their second game in on Thursday. So the rest of the schedule will be kind of a crunch for them other, as opposed to other teams except for the Flyers who they played in Prague. Yeah, and I know football's one day a week, but the NFL owns a day. They own a day. They own Sunday. Sunday's their day. Baseball's my favorite sport because it's every day. I love the NFL because, again, it's a day. And as a, as a fan, you're like, all right, great. Noon kickoff. I got this game. Then after that, I got this game. Then I got this game. I'm gonna, I get the Red Zone channel going. I got my phone going to my apps. This is, this is a fun day. This is perfect. But NBA and NHL, you guys are my, my fill-in between the week. In those cold winter months in the city of Chicago when it's nighttime at 4.30 and it's snowing <laughs> and crappy outside, I want to know after dinner I could see a 6.30 puck drop or tip-off mm-hmm. in between those times going into you know, football on the weekends or on, on Sunday in particular. Saturday college football, of course. But I'm thinking more like those January months yeah. where it's like I want all three sports cooking. You need, Yeah, you need something to help you through because you know the, the way the Bears are going right now, they might not make it to January for themselves. So you need a team to get you to from January to February and then spring training happens. You're like, all right, thank you, basketball. Thank you, NHL. I'm a, I'm a baseball again in yes, March. Absolutely. So I'm out. So I'm just letting you um, Blackhawks and Bulls fans know that we, we are not ignoring your teams. There are teams, too. We will Once both sports are in full go, probably basically starting next week, we will give the allotted amount of time to those two um, franchises. I will say this about the Blackhawks. I've got to worry that they have kind of have like a, an offseason kind of like the Cubs where it's like the defense is clearly a glaring problem just like the Cubs' bullpen was. And, you, and I don't know if they addressed it enough or if they're going to pair their defense the right way. Murphy coming back's nice. I just, I think I'm worried about. I think Crawford's just done. Crawford led in a couple easy ass goals. It wasn't all on him, of course, but he just looked done. I like the DeBrinket extension looked real nice. We'll get to a lot of Blackhawk stuff. I did want to get your take on this. I was, uh, it's interesting to see. I know a lot of people I know saw that I can't root for the Braves because of the tomahawk chop, mm-hmm. right? And um, a lot of sports fans nowadays are also very into political stuff. People in general are also keeping an eye on social issues and stuff like that, yes. which is fine. The funny thing is when people say stick to sports, <laughs> it's, it's only because you don't like what they're saying. 
If they were taking up your costs, you'd be totally happy with yeah, it. Yeah, you know what like, I mean? Oh, continue. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, oh, please, go on. I'm so happy you're representing us now. So anyhow, um, the tomahawk chop is always under some, some, you know, controversy, I suppose. But it's been a while since Atlanta's been in the spotlight. Um, I know they were in the playoffs last year. But uh, I thought about this. Uh, actually, because one of the Cardinals pitchers who's part of the Cherokee Nation, Hels- Helsley, mm-hmm. is his name? What's his first name? I'm not, I can't find his first name. Just says his last name. Anyway, um, he basically said it's disrespectful. I don't like it. It makes it seem like we're like cavemen. It's um, yeah. He says it depicts them as this kind of caveman type people who aren't intellectual. There's a lot more than that, um, and he's against it. And I think that it was important for him to say it because he has a Native American background. I think it just holds more water. Not to say people from other backgrounds can't be upset about stuff. Of course they can. You can be upset with whatever you want. This is America. You'd be upset about potholes and bitch about it. Go ahead. Um, I think I'm actually thinking to myself. I'm rooting against for Atlanta, and I know people are like, oh, can you root for them? I'm like, well, they're facing the Cardinals. They're my rival, so that's number Have one. To. If they go on to face the Dodgers, I'm rooting for them against the Dodgers, too. I, I lived in L.A., and as much as I, I love L.A. as a city, Dodgers fans were annoying. But even I'm, I'm trying to tell people, if you really want to see the Tomahawk chop come to an end, you should root for the Braves to get to the World Series because then it becomes a national story, and that's how things move. Yeah. The, Chief Wahoo was gone because Cleveland had a successful run. You know, they were in the World Series in 2016. 2017, they made it back, right? That, and then in 2018, they announced we're taking the... They didn't get rid of the logo, but they took it off their jersey. Yes. It's no, Chief Wahoo is no longer on the on-field uniforms. I'm sure you could still buy the old hat in the gift shops and stuff like that. And the name's still Indians with that red-faced, very racist-looking alcoholic Indian, which is a bad depiction, is gone. And that is solely because it became a national story. So if you want the tomahawk chop to go away which I'll admit, I went to a Cubs-Braves game when I was seven, and I thought it was very fun. You're a little kid. It's, it's decent music. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a kid. I didn't know what the hell was going on. Um, that's what you do. You have to, it has to become like a national story for these things to go away. So that's why I'm running for the Braves. That makes sense to me. I'm a fan of the fighting the line. I, they got rid of most of their Native American imagery. Um, even a song that I love. I, I was a big-time fan of their war chant. When they took it away, I was like, I'll, I'll survive. Yeah, you get you get over it. Um, yeah, it's tough, and it's you know you've grown up, and it's tradition for you. You have these jerseys that you thought nothing of extra. When people start complaining about it, you start thinking to yourself, you know what? Do I really need this Native American big? I mean, I know Blackhawk fans. It's not named after the actual Blackhawk. It's named after an infantry, a battalion. It's like that battalion is named after the actual guy. But yeah, like. You it was Black Space Hawks for a while, though, which then they could have said it's the bird. I mean, they could anyway. just go with Black Hawk and have a, a actual bird that's black. They don't have to have a Native American. And, it'll yeah. be, and they could just keep the same feathers if they wanted to and just turn into a bird. Stop making Someone it Someone redid a, the logo, and it did look pretty badass with the feathers yeah, and the bird. Yeah, just make it the, the Black Hawks. They keep the name. Get rid of the Native American imagery. I know they give money. Blah, blah, blah. You're listening to this. But why do you need some person there? Oh, I'm fighting Irish. I'm Irish. I don't get offended. Uh, great. Congratulations. But some Native Americans who have been slaughtered and genocided by this country, by white people, do not, take a, do not find fucking you putting a, jer- a guy on their, jer- their jerseys to be honoring them. So if somebody feels that way, just take that shit off and call it something else. You'll still root for the team. It's yeah. not that big. And let me just say this as someone, as an American with pure Irish ancestry, people always like to make the joke where like, well, Irish people aren't, don't get offended. Irish people don't get offended. 
look, we're ball busters. We make fun of everybody, and we do do it out of love. I 100% will fight for that because I've seen it. You know what I mean? I, I've mm -hmm. seen Irish people talk so much shit to each other, but it really is out of love. You can't say we don't get offended easily when we're also known as people with horribly bad tempers. We're known as a group of people with like the worst tempers. Like an Irish temper is like a stereotype. So clearly we're getting pissed off about something. You know what I mean? So, I mean, is it being offended? Maybe. Go up to an Irish guy and call him a cocksucker. And if he tries to fight you, clearly he got offended, right? So you yeah. definitely get offended. Maybe it's not about like regular surface stuff. But yeah, there's, I mean, people, I'm just so annoyed with, obviously I, I think people are too sensitive as a comedian. I see it. My beef isn't, my beef is when people get a sense of it, the topic subject. I see, I'll see a great comedian bring up a topic and the audience shuts down. And that upsets me because I'm like, whoa, you didn't hear him out though. This great comedian was on, um, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, this great comedian, Mark Norman, who's a really funny comic mm -hmm. out of New York. Everyone look him up. He's really good. I've, I've worked with him before. I like the guy. He was on Joe Rogan's podcast. Oh, actually, I don't really listen to that podcast, but I see the clips all the time. And the clips are pretty good. And, um, he basically talked about how after a show, a woman came up to him and said, you know, you think racism's funny? You talked about racism, you think racism's funny? He goes, no, I don't think racism's funny. Um, but I think you can make it funny. Yes. And did I say this in the podcast last week? I feel like maybe I, I did. I, don't I didn't? All right, good. Um, he goes, I don't think rice is funny, but Mitch Hedberg's joke about how rice is perfect if you want to eat 2,000 of something, that is funny. Yes. He goes, nothing by itself is funny, but it's our job to make it funny. Yes. So when I see an audience shut down because someone just brings up like something that might be a trigger rape. word. Yeah, like, yeah, rape is horribly unfunny. You know what I mean? But if you bring it up and you could find a way, which is very tough to do, that's why those jokes usually have the biggest payoffs because mm. it's so hard to pull them off. Yeah, that's why you, they can do it and we can't. Yeah, I think you just have to hear it out is my point. Um, I think com I give comedians, uh, any type of artist, special liberties to do the things. that It's not the same as yeah, it's not. walking around. They're not – and if they, even if they believe that, I don't care. But that – like if they're just doing it on a set and they're making a joke – um, with you know premise punchline all this good stuff, I don't mind as long as he intended he or she intended to make this thing funny something. I don't think yeah, where's the regular intent? regular comedians who don't go there. If you don't go to a line to a place where other people don't go, then you're just a, I, I don't know I don't uh, to me for me to judge a comedian who doesn't do the thing seems wrong. But I think. I want a comedian to be edgy. I want a com not necessarily edgy. I want him to go somewhere that I can't to yeah. think about something that oh my god, and also to think like what the fuck did I think about that? That's yeah. so surface. It was there. He or she went there and got there and made that funny. And yeah, anything, anything. Like I said before, Louis C.K. said nigger like all the time and made fun of it, the word and how absurd it is and how we can't say it. But if you're a white comedian, I know that they're like they like to stay away from it. But if you can make that situation funny, baby, go for it. I'm in there. Like yeah. anytime you could do that. Like that's why I objected against the the Shane Gillis guy. Like I know he was telling a joke. I know he was being of that uh, that time for that guy. But I think in that regard, he was just you know doing it just so he could say the words. Yeah, he was he was on a podcast too. Yes, he wasn't. If like if you're going up there and doing stand up, that's just a really bad joke because it wasn't a joke. You're just saying something whatever. That's why a lot of comedians, our whole thing. My big argument with the whole Shane Gillis thing was basically why is why does there why is there a person that exists who their sole purpose in life at this moment is to tear other people down, and I don't know if I touched on it last week with 
that kid in the college football game that said, you know, Bush liked supply needs replenishing. Yes. And he got like a million dollars from Venmo. And Venmo was like, this is great. Because the kid then said, I'm going to donate every dime I get to the children's hospital. Because mm-hmm. he was just joking, saying, hey, I need money for Bush Light. And he ended up getting a million dollars. like, this isn't right. I can't take a million dollars for this. Exactly. I'm going to donate to a children's hospital. Venmo's like, we got your back. And as Bush said, we have your back. But then some journalist looked up and he had bad tweets from when he was 15, seven years ago mm-hmm. or six years ago. And then Bush Light backed away. Which and it's dumb. like, what are you, to fuck off, Bush Light? Are you this kid, even if he was an idiot when he was 15, first of all, 99% of people are idiots when they're 15. Always. He's clearly not now. He's a good person who's donated money to sick kids. You, you can't tell that reporter, first of all, what, what is with you, wrong with you where you hear a feel-good story, which I, when I heard that story, I'm like, oh, this is nice because everyone's always saying that millennials are selfish. Here's a millennial. I don't even know if 22-year-olds are considered millennials. Isn't that a new generation He's like a now? Z. or something like yeah. that, right? Anyway, this is someone who's it's found money, and he's donating it to sick kids. That should be the end of the story, but someone's like, nah, let's tear him down. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to yeah. go what through all his on, tweets. Yeah, yeah, what do you say on Twitter out there? Ooh, in 2016, he retweeted Tosh.0. <laughs> You're going down. Like, <laughs> fuck that person. But I brought up the whole offended thing because I know there are people who go, oh, you don't like the Tomahawk Chop, you don't like that the Braves exist, or that, you know, the Indians or Chiefs or whatever. That's just, everyone's just too damn sensitive. That's what they hear. And I'm like, no, you're, but everyone's sensitive because that, those same people who are against that, what do you love? I'll make fun of that and you'll react the same way mm-hmm. other people do. That's just how that goes. Yeah. And as soon as you realize that, get over it. And I'll end it with something somewhat positive. If you're a fan of any of the sports teams that we, like if you're a Washington Redskins fan and we want to get rid of, we want to change the name, change all of that. And you're like, well, it's bullshit. Think of it this way. All that memorabilia you have. It's not going to be worth something because we're not going to print it anymore. So there you go. Sell it on eBay, you jerk. You know, I don't know. Do something like yeah, that. Yeah, you got a relic now. You got a relic. And you'll go out and buy the new merch, and that'll help your local economy. So everyone wins. You'll go out and buy it when they're the, the Washington, I don't know, Warriors or something like that. And the breadsticks. The breadsticks. <laughs> that's, that's a little uh, Aziz Ansari joke. Is that? Nice. I mean, if anybody watched the uh, uh, Master of None show, you can hear that. I got to check that out. Guys, listen to Herb tonight on The Score. Uh, follow him on Twitter, Ecknerwall23, for tons of great takes. I'm a little jealous of you because you can make your feet all sports, where I still have to do jokes about other stuff. Yes, but I've gotten into like I've gotten into sports Twitter more so mm-hmm. because regular Twitter has become so depressing because mm-hmm. it's just so negative every day, all the time. And sports Twitter is negative too, but at least I could control it a little bit more, where I could put my positive spin on stuff and just yes. get into I, things. I'm a I'm a good follow if you like to be uh, constantly annoyed by a line I bulls, bears, and the president's tweets. Yeah, there you go. And I got, I think we're going to start a, we should probably just start a 773 Sports Twitter. Might as well. Sounds right. Yeah. I mean, just to, you know, to have it. Yeah. Just have, and then tweet it out to every time we uh, get a new episode. Yeah. When we get big, someone else is going to try to get it and then they're going to like extort us for money for it. Yeah. I'm so. sure. That, I mean, you already looked it up. There's no one else on the uh, Twitter sphere. There's no or, one else uh, on the um, podcast sphere. I, I looked at the podcast sphere. There's no other podcast called 773 Sports. We had other good nicknames that people had, unfortunately. Anyway, though, that's been 773 Sports. Everyone, tell your friends. You guys have a great week. Go Chicago Sports.